This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. This month I'm detailing crimes which were perpetrated by or against actors. Thespians, if you will. In this episode, a case that upon its surface appeared to be a cut-and-dried case of a lover's quarrel turned deadly turns out to be a much more thought-out and sinister plan. When authorities uncover the real killer, he turns out to be an actor who attempts to parlay his skills as a performer to get away with the perfect crime. This is Chapter 2 of Final Curtain Call, Theater of Pain, The Murders of Daniel Wozniak. On May 21, 2010, Steve Hare was looking forward to a weekend visit from his son, Sam. However, by the time most of Saturday had come and gone with no word from his son, Steve decided to drive to his apartment in Costa Mesa, California. Sam Hare was a 26-year-old veteran and a student at Orange Coast College. When Steve arrived at his son's apartment, he found the body of Sam's good friend, Julie Kibuishi. She had been shot in the head and the circumstances in which the body was found, partially clothed and hanging off the bed, suggested that she had been raped. Julie, 23, was often described by friends and family as vivacious. She was a petite girl who had been dancing since she was barely old enough to walk. As she matured into a young woman, it was clear she had talent along with a love of performing. She'd entered Orange Coast College to study fashion and was bright, excelling in a multitude of subjects. Julie was close with her family, and according to her mother, had a close-knit circle of friends, all of whom her family was acquainted with. She didn't hang out with anyone they'd consider as even remotely dangerous, nor did she have a boyfriend her family was aware of. Learning that her daughter had been found brutally murdered in the apartment of one of her classmates left them reeling and shocked them to the core. Upon first glance, It appeared that the details of the crime told a simple story, and one that could easily be solved. The Camden Martinique Apartments was a large apartment community that catered to young adults, and has been characterized as being like Melrose Place, but on a much grander scale. When the police arrived, the crime scene seemed to tell a very ugly story about what happened to Julie Kibuishi in Sam Hare's apartment, and all evidence pointed to Sam as the perpetrator. I mean, let's be honest, when a woman is found dead in a man's home, and the man is nowhere to be found, things tend to shake out in a fairly predictable way. Furthermore, Sam was a veteran, and those close to him had noted that he had seen serious combat, for which he had received substantial combat pay but had also begun to show signs of PTSD as a result. Sam Hare's friend, Ruben Salas, told ABC News that Sam had been suffering a terrifying recurring nightmare. He said he'd find himself in a foxhole and his area would be overtaken by insurgents. We honor our veterans and lament the fact that after returning from war, tragedies have occurred with our men and women suffering from post-traumatic effects of the battlefield. The murders of American sniper Chris Kyle 
and Chad Littlefield by a veteran with PTSD immediately come to mind. It's rare, but it sometimes happens. Sam Hare had been stationed at Camp Keating, located at the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan. He had served on the front lines, tasked with manning an observation post, and the stress of the war had followed him home, as it did many of our troops. Detectives initially didn't think it was out of the realm of possibility for Sam Hare to have perhaps snapped and did something terrible. Investigators had to follow the evidence wherever it led. Not everything seemed to make sense, though. Julie and Sam, by all accounts, had a very healthy platonic relationship. Julie had tutored Sam for a class, and they had become fast friends. But according to friends and family, they were not romantically involved. When investigators checked Julie's phone, however, they found Sam had apparently been texting her in the hours before her death, with messages that read, quote, Can you come by? Please, no sex. Need to talk. Please, don't tell anyone. Please. The text reading, no sex, didn't seem to make sense. Steve Hare suspected something was wrong immediately. Despite the glaring evidence to the contrary, he adamantly insisted that his son would never have done something so heinous. It just didn't add up. Investigators' calls to Sam's phone went unanswered, and they immediately made it their primary goal to find Sam Hare. The manhunt was conducted largely behind the scenes, without a mention of Julie's murder or the search for Sam Hare in the press. Of course, if you're always watching murder shows and reading crime novels, you know that one of the first things investigators do when tasked with locating a missing person is to monitor that person's bank account, follow the money trail, if a fugitive on the run is dumb enough to book a hotel room on their card, and sometimes they are, police know exactly where to find them. And it was through Sam Hare's bank account that they got their first clue. In the days after Julie's murder and Sam's disappearance, investigators discovered that Hare's bank account had been used to withdraw nearly $2,000 at an ATM. Was the initial theory correct? Did Sam Hare rape and murder Julie and then go on the run, making withdrawals from his bank account along the way? seemed almost too simple to detectives. To dig to the bottom of this, investigators set up surveillance, and in true criminal genius fashion, the person using the bank card showed up again to make a withdrawal. He wasn't a criminal genius. He was a 16-year-old boy named Wes Freelich, and he said a man named Daniel Wozniak had put him up to it. Daniel Wozniak and his fiancée, Rachel Buffett, also lived in the Camden Martinique apartments, a few floors below Sam Hare. Wozniak was an accomplished actor in community theater and regularly performed at area venues. According to the Orange County Register, the local paper, Wozniak was well-known in community theater. The 2002 graduate of Los Alamitos High School played Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music at the Orange County Children's Theater, where the director said he was, quote, wonderful with children. Wozniak also performed in The Music Man and Charlie's Aunt and Arsenic and Old Lace with Southeast Civic Light Opera, where the director there called him, quote, well-spoken, the life of the party, the center of attention. Wozniak and Rachel Buffett were to be married soon, and on the night of his bachelor party, Daniel Wozniak got a surprise. A local media outlet reported, 
friends treated Wozniak to a bachelor's party on the eve of his wedding. They'd just paid the bill when police officers swarmed into the restaurant Tsunami Sushi in Huntington Beach and took Wozniak away in handcuffs. He was brought in for questioning regarding the apparent scam on Sam Hare's bank account. During his interrogation with police, Wozniak appeared to understand that he was caught. He admitted to running a credit card scam and described how he recruited the teenager. I said, okay, Wes, here's what we're going to do. I'm treated like I was a co-op guy pretending to be a cab actor. So I said, here's what you need to do. You need to, I'm going to park across the street. And I parked, I, uh, it was across the street from the bank, so I wouldn't be seen while I was avoiding. I said, what you're going to do is get out, grab your skateboard, go over there, enter the PIN number, take out $400. Because I heard it was the maximum to take out. He said, okay. He asked if it was illegal. I said, no, no. I especially like the moment where he pauses and says, I'm an actor, when describing how he fooled the kid. It's an especially pungent whiff of narcissism. Police detained Daniel Wozniak in their investigation of the suspicious ATM withdrawals from Sam Hare's bank account, initially suspecting it might be a simple case of financial fraud. However, once he was thrown in a jail cell, Daniel Wozniak got panicky, and according to ABC News, quote, he made a jailhouse phone call to his fiancée, Rachel Buffett, in which he begged her not to tell police about incriminating evidence against him, including the location of the murder weapon. Let that sink in for a moment. On a jailhouse phone call. Buffett reminded Wozniak that the conversation was being recorded and that the jig was up, and that she was calling detectives as soon as she got off the phone with her fiancée. The jig was definitely up. Daniel Wozniak was more than a credit card fraudster. He had apparently murdered Julie and was likely responsible for Sam Hare's disappearance, too. In researching Daniel Wozniak's crimes, it quickly becomes apparent what a slimy, unlikable character he was. His case has been covered by dozens of outlets, including Dateline and 2020, among others. And as a result, there's a lot of video of his interrogation that shows him for who he truly is. Under interrogation, the new version of his story was a wild tale in which he claims Sam Hare had shown up at his apartment confessing to the murder of Julie Kibuishi. Wozniak insisted that his only crime was in agreeing to help Hare escape. However, when police told Wozniak they planned to test his saliva to compare it to DNA recovered from the crime scene, he knew he was screwed. He changed his story once again. The community theater performer really seemed to believe that his skills as an actor would be successful in convincing the cops of his innocence. But you know how these things go. The guy that weaves elaborate tales in a long interrogation eventually contradicts himself because he can't keep all the lies straight and because he let a little thing slip. His story then begins to unravel, and detectives, trained to spot lies and contradictions, are able to drive a truck through the holes in their suspect's story. Take a listen to just such a segment of Wozniak's interrogation when investigators have him backed into a corner and he's forced to come up with yet another new story. He came down and said, help me. I went upstairs and yes, I saw the goddamn body. Is that what you want to hear? No, we want to hear the truth. That is the truth. Okay, then tell us what happened. How did that How did that play out? And what'd you do when you got up there? How'd your DNA get on her? 
Daniel Wozniak has just admitted that he was in the apartment and saw Julie's body. No doubt because he was worried they'd find his DNA in there. First, he admitted to credit card fraud, but that was it. Then, he changes his story and claims Sam murdered Julie and that he was only an accessory after the fact. Now, he has to change his story again and claim to have seen Julie's body, placing himself at the scene of the crime. And with every small concession or admission made by the suspect, investigators dug deeper to uncover even more. Wozniak, the talkative to a fault thespian, let a little thing slip when he admitted that he had seen Julie's body. He claimed to have seen two bullet wounds in her head. However, investigators who'd been at the crime scene all agreed, to their trained eyes, for detectives it was an obvious indication that Daniel Wozniak had been present at the time of the murder. He knew two shots had been fired. After more than a dozen hours in police custody, Daniel Wozniak cracked. He called for the jailer and asked to speak to detectives. Okay, talk to us. What do you have to tell me? You said you wanted to talk to me. What's going on? I'm crazy and I did it. You did what? I killed Julia and I killed Sam. Okay. All right. Where's the book? All right. Sam came first. It was all just about the money. That was it. Right? 100%. Sam is decapitated. Okay. He's at the military base. All right. In the theater. You can't say it more plainly than that. I killed Julie and I killed Sam. Daniel Wozniak had finally come clean. Sam Hare was not a rapist or a murderer. He was an American soldier and a victim, just like Julie Kibuishi. And as the story came spilling out, the sickening details of the senseless murders committed by Wozniak were chilling. It was all about money. Money was a serious problem for Wozniak at the time. He was reportedly deep in debt, without a full-time job, and facing eviction. He didn't have the money to pay his rent, much less for a honeymoon or a wedding that was just a couple of weeks away. Somehow, Daniel learned about the combat pay that Sam Hare had so honorably earned in service to his country. It's a point I wonder about. Most people don't go around bragging about how much money they have in their savings accounts. Perhaps I've missed it, but I wonder how Daniel Wozniak found out about Sam's savings. Was it an innocent mention in passing from Sam? Or did Daniel Wozniak look around his apartment and see a guy with some nice things and start asking some subtly probing questions about his finances? Regardless of how he found out, Daniel Wozniak knew about Sam's combat pay and he intended to get it. How a guy can hatch a plan to start a new life with his bride on stolen money acquired through murder is a level of evil that boggles the mind.
On May 21st, in a ruse he had devised specifically for the murder, Wozniak drove Sam Hare to the vacant Liberty Theater at Los Alamitos Army Airfield, a theater where he had once performed as an actor. Once there, Wozniak lured Sam into the theater's attic under the premise that he needed help moving supplies. The young soldier that Wozniak tried to frame for a cold-blooded act of rape and murder was actually such a great guy that he'd agreed to help Wozniak, who was simply a neighbor and an acquaintance, out of the goodness of his heart. That's unreal. From Wozniak's confession, quote, I said, you need to bend down and help me lift this thing up. And when he bent down, I grabbed the gun and I shot him, end quote. According to homicide detective Mike Delgadillo, at that point, Sam fell to his knees, looked up at Mr. Wozniak and said, I've just been, something's happened. I just got electrocuted. Sam didn't understand what happened to him. And Detective Delgadillo said he was still staring at Wozniak, trying to figure out what caused the explosion in his head when Wozniak fired a second shot and killed him. Later that evening, like nothing had happened, Wozniak performed on stage alongside his fiancée and leading lady, Rachel Buffett, and wrapped up a nearly month-long performance in the lead role of Guido Contini in the musical Nine at the Hunger Artist Theater Company in Fullerton. I'm sure if you asked him, he'd be happy to tell you it was a tour de force performance. But Wozniak's third act was still to come. After his performance that night, Wozniak, pretending to be Sam, sent those text messages to Julie from Sam's phone. Can you come by? Please, no sex. Need to talk. Please, don't tell anyone. Please. Julie, a beautiful petite Japanese-American, arrived at Sam's apartment wearing a tiara her brother had given her at dinner. It was a gift he'd given to her to wear at his upcoming wedding, where she was to be a bridesmaid. The six-foot-two-inch Daniel Wozniak was waiting for her outside the front door. Wozniak likely disarmed any nervousness Julie might have felt when he said, Sam just called me and said he was going through some stuff. Yeah, me too, Julie said. Then he set the trap. Well, I have a key, he told his unsuspecting victim. Let's go in. They walked into Sam's apartment where Wozniak misdirected Julie's attention for a moment. In his confession to police, he said, quote, And then I said, oh, by the way, did you see this in Sam's bed? Lean over, look at it right there. When she was leaned over, I put two bullets in the back of her head. I know I've made my opinion of this killer clear, but this might be a good place to reflect on the depth of evil some people are capable of, and one red flag that marks a person as supremely dangerous. People with an inability to empathize with others or care for anyone other than themselves, but can successfully hide that nature behind a cheery tone and a smile that could be a snarl, is something that keeps those of us who consume true crime stories up late at night. You could be acquainted with a person like Daniel Wozniak right now and never suspect a thing. The kind of person who would murder a man for money, spend an entire day thinking about how to deflect the attention from himself, perform in a live theater production that same evening, and then lure the man's friend to her death, walks among us every day, blending right in with the rest of us who could never fathom contemplating such evil deeds. Where Sam thought he had made a friend, Daniel Wozniak was sizing him up from behind his piercing, glassy-eyed gaze and Cheshire Cat's smile, all the while intending to do him harm. 
It's a frightening state of affairs. The horror doesn't end there. According to investigators, Wozniak returned to the Liberty Theater, cut off Hare's head, left arm, and right hand so the body couldn't be identified, and dispersed the body parts in El Dorado Park in Long Beach. Wozniak then returned to Sam's apartment, removed some of Julie's clothing, and positioned her body on the bed in such a way as to suggest that she had been raped. When she was found in Sam's apartment, it would look like he had murdered her and then gone on the lam. The final step in Daniel Wozniak's plan involved getting access to Sam Hare's money, and we know how that turned out. It's really not much of a plan when you think about it. Wozniak apparently told investigators his intention was to slowly drain the account in small withdrawals of less than $400 each. Okay, a person who goes to all the trouble to murder and dismember a man and then kill a second person to throw everyone off the track for $62,000 didn't have a better plan than to enlist a teen to use the victim's ATM card? Like, how many times did he think he could use a supposed fugitive's ATM card before the police came looking? Once? Twice? But then, a dumbass like Wozniak didn't seem to understand that jailhouse phone calls are recorded either. So, nothing should surprise us. With his confession complete, Daniel Wozniak had only to lead authorities to Sam Hare's remains in El Dorado Park in Long Beach, which he did. They found Sam Hare's partially dismembered torso in the attic of the theater, right where Wozniak said it would be. Daniel Wozniak was charged with two felony counts of special circumstances murder, among other charges, but his case had an unusually long delay before coming to trial. The OC Register, the local Orange County newspaper, characterized the main problem this way. Assistant Public Defender Scott Sanders has used this case, among others, to allege systemic misconduct on the part of the Orange County District Attorney's Office and Orange County Sheriff's Department. And to give you some idea of the scope of the problem, one Sanders motion ran 754 pages long, accompanied by more than 25,000 pages of exhibits alleging improper use of jailhouse informants going back 30 years. All told, there were more than 130 hearings before, in December of 2015, a judge would rule that Wozniak's arrest and detention had been proper and found no evidence of misconduct. A jury was then seated, and a date for the trial was finally set for the immediate future. And just like that, it was over. For as long as it took for the trial to begin, it was over in the blink of an eye. And to be honest, it's not surprising. Defense attorneys don't stand much of a chance defending a client with such a lack of self-awareness that he admitted on video that he was smiling and laughing when he used an axe and a saw to remove the victim's head. Yeah. You heard that right. The Los Angeles Times reported, I was actually smiling and laughing, Wozniak said in a videotaped interview with detectives. When one investigator asked why he laughed, Wozniak replied, I don't know. I reached a point where I couldn't even believe I was doing this. Those were statements he gave willingly to police and were ruled to be admissible in court. Without being in the courtroom and hearing all the evidence, it's hard to say exactly what a jury would conclude. But that seems just about as damning as it gets. The video of the confession was played for the jury, and within weeks, it was all sewn up. Daniel Wozniak was found guilty on both felony counts. 
On January 12, 2016, the Times reported that the sentence had been handed down. Quote, After a little over an hour of deliberations, an Orange County jury recommended Monday that convicted murderer Daniel Wozniak be put to death for two killings and a cover-up that included beheading one victim's body and staging the other to look as if she had been sexually assaulted. End quote. We haven't talked a lot about Rachel Buffett yet, or the other accomplices, but we need to. Chatter Online seems to overwhelmingly support a theory of a conspiracy. There was virtually nobody in Rachel Buffett's corner from the get-go, because nobody believed that Daniel Wozniak could have done everything he did without her being aware of it. As a matter of fact, Noah Buffett, Rachel's 28-year-old brother, and Daniel's brother Timothy were both initially arrested as accessories. According to the LA Times, Timothy Wozniak was charged after authorities learned that his brother had given him evidence, including the murder weapon, to hide or destroy. He previously had pleaded not guilty to the felony accessory charge, but changed his plea as part of the deal offered by prosecutors. In December 2016, barely a week after receiving his three-year sentence of informal probation, Timothy Wozniak was in police custody again on suspicion of domestic violence again from the LA Times. Police said Timothy Wozniak, 42, punched a woman in the chest, grabbed her wrist, and bit her forearm on Monday, while the pair were in a car near South Coast Plaza. The two have a relationship, according to police, who would not elaborate. Sounds like those Wozniak boys were real charmers. The story is long and unseemly, and I hesitate to dive too deeply into Rachel and her conspirators, because we'll go down a cavernous rabbit hole that would take more time than we have to explore. And Rachel and her co-conspirators don't deserve that much of our attention. Suffice to say, there were cringeworthy moments, like when she went on Dateline to protest her innocence and said, quote, I'm innocent, and that's what hurts me the most in this whole situation, is they're trying to say I'm something I'm not, end quote. Okay, two people are dead, you're under suspicion, and you choose to pursue sympathy on television? and, quote, what hurts her most are false accusations against her, not my fiancé murdered and beheaded people to pay for our wedding? Doesn't sound like a winning strategy to put those types of statements out in the public. But then, they do say, birds of a feather. There was also an equally unpleasant appearance by the bride-to-be on the Dr. Phil show as well. On the night of Dan's bachelor party, two days before the wedding, he was arrested. I didn't know what to think. I was in shock. And my first response was, oh, my gosh, what trouble could this idiot have gotten himself into now? And is he going to be out in time for the dress rehearsal tomorrow? Rachel Buffett was eventually charged with two counts of accessory after the fact for lying to the police to help cover up for her fiancé. And in Rachel's case again, the trial was long delayed. Finally, after years of delays and challenges and appearances on reality television to plead her innocence, Rachel May Buffett faced justice. According to the L.A. Times on November 8, 2018, the former fiancé of convicted murderer Daniel Wozniak was sentenced Thursday to 32 months in jail for being an accessory after the fact in two slayings he committed in 2010. Rachel Buffett, 31, was convicted in September of two counts of being an accessory related to the crimes. After a sentence that Sam and Julie's family members considered far too light for the crimes committed, they were further outraged when Rachel May Buffett was released early for good behavior, and she is now free. (music) 
That should be the end of the story. Killer caught, sentenced to death. But sometimes politics and populist opinions play a role in our justice system. Case in point. In 2019, California Governor Gavin Newsom declared a moratorium on the death penalty in the state. Inmates like Daniel Wozniak were moved off of death row at San Quentin and transferred to other maximum security facilities. The full impact on the sentences for these death row inmates is yet to be decided. But if past history holds as it did in other states, or as it did previously in California, all of those death sentences will likely be commuted to toe-tag parole, they call it on the yard, life without parole, meaning you get parole when they put a tag on your toe. There's a quote by British author Charles Caleb Colton that goes, Applause is the spur of noble minds, the end and aim of weak ones. It perfectly sums up Daniel Wozniak. He was not a noble mind, but one of the weak ones, addicted to the clapping and cheering. He always found time to indulge his own need for praise and adoration and applause. But somehow, he couldn't find a full-time job to pay his rent and support his lifestyle. None of it seemed to matter to Daniel, because he was in a production of one, his own leading man in a drama he wrote and directed. It was a one-man show of shocking avarice played out in a theater of pain. And it cost two beautiful young people their lives. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. Join me next week for another episode in the series, Final Curtain Call. You can interact with us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Once Upon a Crime Pod, on Twitter at Upon a Crime, and TikTok at OUAC Pod. You can listen to episodes, learn more about the show and our sponsors, and shoot us a message as well as get all our social media links at our website, truecrimepodcast.com. Once Upon a Crime is produced and edited by me, Esther Ludlow. My research and production assistant is Lorena Garcia. This episode was written by Troy Larson. Additional support for this episode was provided by Studio 71. Until next time, be good to one another and stay safe. <laughs>